taken, if I can, to a couple of messages that I preached over the latter couple of weeks, and one of which was in the, uh, in the account of Jesus ministering to his disciples right at a very, uh, you know, right at a, a critical moment in their lives, especially Simon Peter, when they were in the upper room. And we know there's so much happened in the upper room when he uh, broke bread with them and brought in to us the new covenant. But he took Peter perhaps aside or if not audibly in front of the other disciples and he, he looked directly at him, though he might have been speaking through him to the others, but he was definitely speaking particularly to Peter when he said this. He said, Simon, Satan has desired to have you. Y'all remember that? He said that he may sift you as wheat. Now, we have to be reminded, church family, that we have an enemy. Come on, now, we don't deify the enemy at our church like they do at some churches. I don't want you to live your life with a greater devil consciousness than you do a God consciousness. I don't want to be that person. I don't want you to be that person. But at the same time, I don't want to be ignorant of Satan's devices. I don't want to pretend that if I don't acknowledge him, he does not exist. But there is a scheme, there's an orchestrated scheme against the, the lives of, of God's people. And there was one being exposed in that moment where Jesus said, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He said, but remember this, and I, this was the sermon was kind of built around this, but he said, but I have prayed for you. He said that your faith will not fail. I, he, said, he didn't say, I, I have prayed for you that you won't go through this trying time. He didn't say, I, I pray that God will rapture you out of this moment. But he said, I pray that your faith will not fail. And he said this. He said, and when you are converted, in which this is, I'm speaking from the King James English today. When you are converted, strengthen thy brethren. And so if you've ever been in a plight or a situation where you were sifted by the enemy and you emerged on the other side, you had a greater realization and a greater understanding of the enemy's systematic attack. And there was something in your heart that wanted that you wanted to be able to share with those that you love. Because if you can help them in their time of crisis, that's what you want to do. Isn't that right? David's most uh, famous psalm is Psalm 51. And that's his repented prayer. It's more famous or perhaps equally as famous as Psalm 23, I should say. But in Psalm 51, that's when he prays his repented prayer after his adultery with Bathsheba. And he said, Lord, he said, if you bring me through this, he said, I'll teach sinners your ways. So there's something in us that when we've made it through by the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God and the strength of God, then we want to help somebody. We want to try to help somebody that may find themselves being sifted, going through a trying time. So he said, when you come all the way back, Peter, when you get this thing right back, he said, you're going to strengthen your brethren. And the point that I made, and I felt like I had to just cut it off for the sake of time, is that Peter did not only strengthen those immediate disciples, the remaining ten, Judas fell by means of transgression, but he also he strengthened the first century church. Right, But he gave us two epistles. And by his own pen, a prophetic pen, his words continue to strengthen, continue to strengthen the church until Christ returns. And I'm going to 
I'm going to really reach into the heart of his second epistle, and I'm going to pull out of it some verses that I just, that these resounded in my spirit as I reread them over the latter few days and even weeks. And I just feel like the Lord wants me to just kind of highlight them today. So let's begin in 2 Peter chapter number 1, and we're going to just read, and I'm going to kind of just expound upon a little bit of this. And I've got them, I think, beginning at the 16th verse, but I'm going to kind of just, and they're reading from the New King James, and I'm reading from the King James, because our program uh, omitted the King James right now, but we're going to get it back. So just very quickly, but Peter is actually, in the verses preceding this, is saying, I'm going to stir you up, your pure minds, by way of remembrance. Peter is close to his uh, death. He knows it. God has revealed this to him. And the one thing that he is going to make sure he does, he's going to go out with a strong exhortation to those that he has the ability to influence. He said, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, I'm going to put you in remembrance of these things. And so we pick it up in the, around the 16th verse somewhere where it says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Peter is reminding the people that they did not just scheme this gospel up and the instruction that then follows and the discipleship that they have brought. They simply are, he's simply saying, when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And this is a powerful truth where the apostle Peter is saying, listen, this is not just a fable. This is not just device in the minds of men. We walked with him. Come on, we talked with him. We went into the secret places. We went into the public places. We were on the Galilean Sea when he came walking without the, come on somebody, walking on a stormy sea and stilled it by his authoritative voice. We were with him in Jairus' room when his daughter, 12 years dead, or, or, or 12 years old, but laying there dead, was immediately resurrected or raised from the dead. We were there. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty and his glory. And then he tells us about a particular moment. He said, even an honor that was bestowed upon Jesus that came not from men. Jesus deserved all the accolades of men. And he deserves all of our accolades today. But it's one thing to have man's approval and it's another thing to have God's approval. And here in this passage he said, he said that not only did we validate him, and not only did we recognize him as the coming Messiah, he said, but there was an authoritative voice. And where was this? This is in 17th, 18th verse where he said, on the mount. You can read it there. I'll have to paraphrase it some. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus took those same three disciples that he took with him into the Garden of Gethsemane for personal prayer that night. He had taken them up into a mountain and there was transfigured in front of them and his inward glory was revealed whereas previously his divinity had been hidden underneath his humanity. Now in that moment his humanity is hidden underneath his divinity and they observe it and they stand in all of it, they fall prostrate, and there's an audible voice, and it's important that you remember this. It's an audible voice that spoke because it is a parallel to the same voice that was heard on Mount Sinai. Because on Mount Sinai, the scripture says the audible voice of God was heard validating the doctrine that Moses would teach. And when that same audible voice spoke on that mountain, it was validating the doctrine.
something that Jesus taught. And Peter said, we now have, as a result of this moment, the 19th verse, he said, we have a more sure word of of prophecy. We have a certain word. What he's saying is you can bank on it. You can rest assured that this is not a fable. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a Jewish folklore. But we were eyewitnesses of the coming of the Messiah and of the glory of God. And we were privy to his instruction. We were privy to his counsel. He walked with us. He talked with us. And he taught us precepts and principles that Peter said, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, I'm going to put you in remembrance of the words that Jesus said when he was with us. Man, I feel Jesus in this room right now just thinking about this. And he said, Peter said this, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. And he begins to make a comparison between the prophetic word that he's now speaking that is also in the harmony with the prophetic word of the generations gone by that we call the Scripture because that's what the Scripture is. It's prophetic words that have been captured on paper. And Peter is saying that prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God. I'm telling you, I believe the word of God today, don't you? I'm going to base, and I have based the entirety of my life. Not only do my, is my local uh, in, my, in my own uh, personal you know, morals and values as I relate to my family and as I relate to my community and I relate to my family and friends, but my worldview is shaped by the Word of God. Right, I'm going to get my, my disposition and the way I think and the, my process of understanding is going to come by my understanding of the Word of God. And so Peter is simply saying these holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. But then here's where the warning comes in. The first verse of the second chapter. Peter begins to shift in his teaching, and that's where I want to begin to pick it up. Because as we begin to pick this up, the others created the context for us, and now we're going to begin to see what's Peter warning the church. And let me say this. I believe that there are layers to church doctrine. I believe that there's always a first application to the immediate audience, don't you? I mean, Peter's not writing to an imaginary group of men and women. He's, a, he's not just writing to the church 2,000 years later. He's, re, he's writing to the church of his day to address an immediate situation that has crept up within the church. But see, if, that's, if, it, if it lived and died right there, then our book would be a book of antiquity, like the many other volumes of books that you can search for in libraries and religious institutions around the world. But see, you and I hold in our hands today the living Word of God. And come on, it is a living, it's alive, it's sharp and powerful. Matter of fact, the writers of it said that one day when the earth is folded away and put up like a discarded blanket, he said, I can promise you one thing will still remain, and that is the word of Almighty God. And so in this context today, though 2,000 years have passed, and there's a lot of things that have happened in the live stream of the men and women that we call the body of Christ, the reality is that some of the very principles and some of the very issues that Peter was addressing in his day by his prophetic pen, those very issues are resurfacing in our generation, and you and I need to heed the apostles' warning. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about church for just a few moments. I believe in the church. 
Matter of fact, let me just tell you what it is. It's ekklesia in the Greek, and it means the called out ones. It's also translated the assembly. And so you and I call ourselves the assembly of God. We are also, in that sense, the church of God. But it doesn't mean an edifice. It doesn't mean a building. You know what it means? It means human beings that have consecrated their lives by virtue of the blood of Jesus Christ. We were in darkness. Now we're in God's marvelous light. We were in sin, but we're no longer longer sinners now. We are saints of God. Not because we were able to change anything in ourselves, but He changed our divine nature, our nature. And He took out of us, as Jeremiah said and and, and the prophet said, a heart of stone, and He put in us a heart that can respond to the person of God. And so we know Him and we understand. And by reason of that, I love God's people. And I love gathering with God's people. And I love the experience that I can have in the house of God. But let me tell you one thing that's happening in our culture today in America. We have made church nothing more than a feel-good place where we pat everybody on the back and we just want you to get your sip of coffee and come in here and we're going to give you a shallow sermon about relationships or serving or something. And all those things are good. But in doing so, oftentimes we omit the weightier matters of the Word of God. Now let me tell you today, you can go in my office and you can't find a diploma on my wall anywhere that says I graduated from this school or that school or this Bible school but that doesn't mean I can't read the word of God and I can't rightly divide the word of God and interpret the word of God but let me say this the word of God speaks with a lot greater sharper piercing sword to our hearts than what's coming from many of our pulpits today and it behooves us to say you know what I'm not offended by the man of God for challenging me because I want to be apostolic. I want to be in the secession of the apostles because Peter said as long as I'm in this flesh I'm going to stir your minds by way of remembrance. I'm going to challenge you on the things that I know. I'm going to challenge you on the things that I've heard and Peter I want to remind you said I didn't get this out of another man's book. I didn't get it copied and pasted off the internet. Peter said I was with him on the holy mount. I heard his voice. I saw his glory and I'm going to share with you what I gained from that time of private discipleship at the feet of Jesus. Thank God for his word today. Now Peter then goes on to say, you know what he warns us of? False prophets. Immediately he begins to allude to false prophets in days gone by. Then he also said there'll be false teachers among you. I wrote it this way briefly in a note. The enemy's most advantageous position is within the fellowship. Mm. It's within the fellowship. And Peter said, false teachers will be among you. And they're going to bring in, I know that we tone it down in other English versions, but the King James says damnable heresies. The heresy in essence is a false teaching that can ultimately cause someone to be eternally damned if they follow that teaching and they're blinded to the truth of the Word of God. And Peter doesn't cut any slack. Peter's going to address it. He's going to call it what it is. He's saying it's a damnable heresy and it can ultimately bring you to the point that you deny the Lord that brought you, and it will eventually bring them into swift destruction. But look at this, and many, this is not happening just in a corner somewhere, but this is sweeping over the churches in our United States of America. 
And I'm not, I'm not one of those pastors that are trying to, to, to decry. I don't believe everything is negative. I live my life with a positive mindset, don't you? I hope to. I live my life with a smile, but at the same time, I want to be acutely aware of things that are happening around me. I told this story years ago, and I'll tell it again. I can remember when I was in the military, JoJo, and I was at basic training, and I'm 18 years old, and we went to the big base chapel. And the big base chapels where everybody came is watered down. Most of the time, I went to the Church of God where they had a little bit more uh, of a precision in preaching. But I went for whatever reason. You just went to get away from the, uh, the T.I.'s, and, and you were just glad to get because they couldn't come in there and yell at you. But I can remember, and I sat there that day when the choir struck up the song. Remember, now this is 1986, and we began to sing. They began to sing, we are the world. We are the children. <laughs> we can make a difference. And they start swaying back and forth like this. Take your neighbor by the hand. I sat there, and I'm telling you, I was like a rock that would not be moved. And I stood there like this, and they could sway on the left if they wanted to, and they could sway on the right if they wanted to. But here's what I said in my heart. I'm not of the world. I've been bought out of the world, born out of the world, and I'm not going to stand in God's house and say I am of the world when I know in whom I have believed. And I am firmly and firmly persuaded that what God's promised me is going to come to pass. And I'm telling you, church family, that spirit is happening, and it's, it's permeating the church today until the church has penetrated until the enemy has penetrated among us. The enemy realized that he could not conquer the church from the outside in. But if he can from the inside, oh, let me just move on just a little bit. Many shall follow the pernicious ways by reason of whom, listen to this, the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. The way of truth. So let me tell you who's going to get called evil today. Let me tell you who's going to get called uh, a homophobic today. Let me tell you who's going to get called uh, a bigot today. Let me tell you who it is. It's going to be somebody that stands for the truth of the Word of God. That's, that's, that the enemy has so turned this in such a way until the way of truth has become evil spoken of. And he said, and through covetousness, they're going to with feigned or many words make merchandise of you. But notice what Peter says, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. And I can't elaborate upon every verse, but Peter then takes us into this context. And he begins to address the very thing that we try to avoid in our modern culture today to even discuss. And we act like that if we won't talk about it, it doesn't exist. And you know what it's called? It's called the judgment of God. We pretend that we can omit it by if we, it will, we, will, we, will, we will deter, we will blind people to it, they won't see it and, it, and it will somehow fade away into obscurity. But let me tell you today, I'm going to just go out on the record today, and I'm going to stand here with the confidence today that the God that I serve is my Father. He's a loving God, and He so loved you that I tell you what, He shrouded Himself in flesh and blood. And he walked among us for 33 and a half years. And he watched from heaven as his son was hung on a cross. And that he watched as seven fountains of blood were flowing out of the veins of the, of the innocent son of God on the cross. And he gave his son to be a propitiation for your sins. So that your sins could be fully satisfied by the one thing that had enough virtue to satisfy God's demand for justice. And that was the blood of Jesus. And let me 
tell you today, that Father, that God that so loved you that he sent his Son to die on the cross is also the judge of all eternity. And that same God, the Bible plainly says that that same God, that same God will not sit back and watch you trod underfoot the blood of the Son of God. And let me tell you today, just because you wear a Christian cross, just because that you go serve on some team somewhere, just because you occasionally attend church or you even say, well, I believe in Jesus, does not mean that you have genuine faith that's secured for you God's eternal heaven. I'm telling you today, you need to heed what the prophets of old said. You need to make your calling and election sure. And I'm not trying to badger you today. I'm just telling the truth because this same spirit that Peter addressed is trying to permeate the church today. It has, and it has polluted many today. And it would do so right here among us if we had let it. But I don't know about you. I'm not going to sit idly by. I'm a passive person in some places until it's something I really believe in. And I'm going to trust that. Listen, what the listen who is writing to us today? Peter. Simon Peter, he said, let me tell you about God. God didn't spare the angels that sin. Mm-mm. And then he said he didn't spare the old world. The world before the patriarchs. The world that then was, the Bible says, perished, being overflowed with water. It was judged by God. Let me tell you, the rainbow that you see is not to identify the homosexual community. The rainbow is to warn the world and remind the world. To remind the world that God will never flood the earth again, but it reminds us also, though, that God did judge the world. And if He judged the world once, He's promised to judge the world again. So let's go a little bit farther. So that's Noah. And then He said the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He turned them into ashes. He condemned them with an overthrow. But notice this, he delivered just Lot, whose life was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. If the life and the lifestyles of your family, friends, and the people that you work with on a regular basis is not twisting you up inside, it's then that you have become dull. You have become dull to the activity of sin in the lives of people. And I'm not saying every day that you get to work that you have to sweep your desk off and climb up on top of it and thunder like you're John the Baptist and say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But I'm telling you, you better be strong enough in your faith that you can discern the difference and you're determined in your heart that you're not going to sway with every wind that blows. Let's go a little bit farther. And he delivered just Lot, who was a righteous man who dwelled among them. He vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. But notice this, the Lord knows how. This is a twofold promise. And you better hear this today. This is a twofold promise. First, it's to the righteous. Notice that what he uses. He called us the godly. The, did you hear that? The godly. That we determine in our hearts by faith that God's called us godly. And he said, I know how to deliver you out of temptation. I know how to preserve you in it and deliver you from it. But he also said, I know how to reserve the unjust unto what? Listen, unto what? Let's read it together. Yes, it's in your Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, the book that is good enough for me. And the Scripture says, unto what? The day of, unto the day of what? Let's read it there, of judgment to be punished. It's not the gospel if you don't warn people of the, of the judgment that's yet to come. It's not the true gospel if you don't tell them there's still a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. 
It's not the true gospel if we don't tell them there's going to come a day. Peter preached it. Paul preached it. Paul said that God will judge the world according to my gospel. You say, well, that's the, that's the, uh, Paul is the, God, is the apostle of grace. Yes, he is. The grace of God that preserves us from God's judgment. Oh, Jesus. I'm preaching way better than y'all shouting, but I'll go ahead. Chiefly them, notice this, so he's addressing them. So then he begins to describe the false teachers of his day. Let me tell you, false teachers can take many forms. They don't always have to have a clerical collar. There's a lot of folks in, in, in our world today using media, right? Television talk shows. Come on, somebody. Listen, they may not claim to be teachers, but when you strive to influence people, that's made you a teacher. Right? You may not claim to be religious, but when you try to influence somebody in a religious ideology, that's made you a... Come on now. I'm just, I'm just, he said, let me tell you about them. He said, they walk in the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, and they despise government. They don't want anybody, especially spiritual authority. They definitely don't want spiritual authority in their life. Look what the writer Peter here is saying. Presumptuous are they, self-willed, and they're not even afraid to speak evil of dignities and including angelic dignities. He said, these angels are greater in power and might, and they won't bring a railing accusation against them before the Lord. But look at this. But these are like natural brute beasts. He said, these men are made to be taken and destroyed. They speak evil of the things that they understand not. Man, that's a great place to think about right there. Look at this. Let's read this next two verses carefully and closely. It says that they speak evil of things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. And they shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. I'm telling you, there are things that are happening in America today that happen right out on the street corner that used to be hidden under a cloak of darkness and people no longer care. They don't care if they become blatant and blasphemous in their heart and in their life. I'm just telling you, I'm the delivery boy today, and I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. And it's time for us to quit pacifying and playing church like these things aren't happening. Let me tell you, the wickedness of this world found its way to Heber Springs. I know we live in a quaint, beautiful area, and we've got the pristine waters of Grizz Ferry Lake, and we've got the cold, swirling waters of the Little Red River, but we also got crystal meth. We also have homosexuality. We also have infidelity and adultery and drunkenness and, and all kinds of distortion and what this world needs and what Heber Spring needs is a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what will change their life. That's what it will do it. Me giving you a t-shirt and putting you on the serve team is not going to resolve the internal conflict that you have inside you. You're going to have to hear this preacher today. You can shake your fist at God all you want to, but ultimately the clay is subjective to the potter. And so in this passage of Scripture, Peter goes on and he's describing the people of his generation. And he said, they shall receive the reward of unrighteousness and they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. But notice what he said, and this is what we've got to catch. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they, hmm, while they what? You know what I believe? I believe in loving every person that comes through those doors. 
I believe in hugging and smiling and greeting every person, and it's sincere. It's not fabricated. I'm not doing it because I'm on a serve team or something of that nature, or the preacher asked me because the love of God's in my heart, and I want to love people when they come through those doors. But I'm going to tell you what, I love you. I love you enough to tell you the truth. And the Bible says this, that the true love of God does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. And only the truth that can correct the error in our life. Only the truth of the Word of God can correct the things that are happening within us and among us. And notice this, as the Apostle Peter is making this parallel, because I'm going to detour for a moment before I finish this message. And I'll finish it uh, with a certainty, but I have to detour. Peter then says, in the, he's making a comparison to the false prophets of old and the false teachers of his day. The false prophets of old prophesied as if the Spirit of Jehovah rested upon them. If you go back and read the accounts of the famous prophets of God like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, their true prophecies oftentimes were combative against the false prophets of, the, of their generation equally as well. And they weren't always Egyptians like we see Janice and Jambres that withstood Moses in the days of the Exodus, but we see them among the people of Israel claiming to have a word from God, claiming to speak for God when they, have, when they are false prophets. That's what Peter is alluding to, and he's making the comparison of the false teachers of his day. And then he makes this analogy here, and he points them in comparison, saying the false teachers of our day are akin to this man Balaam. Look at this 15th verse. Which have forsaken the right way, and they're gone astray. They followed the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. Now, I told Sister Sherry this morning that I was going to call my sermon, Let the Dumbass Speak. But I didn't feel like you could handle it. So I, I, I calmed it down just a little bit, and I called it Peter's Warning. But if we're going to put this in its context, and we're going to deter from the full record of Peter, and we're going to go back to this Balaam that he's talking about, let me give you a five-minute just little just a brief excerpt about Balaam. Balaam was a Gentile prophet during the days of the Exodus. And the children of Israel were just about to enter fully into the promised land. And they hadn't made it right to the edge of it, but they're journeying there. And they're starting to experiment with warfare. And because remember, the carcasses of those that came out of, Israel, out of Egypt had died. And a new generation has to learn warfare. And they're learning it. And so it's experimental. And they're, because they're going to have to go into the promised land and take the promised land. If you you got to take the promises of God, right? You have to have an active, assertive faith. And so they're going to take them. So they have to experiment just a little bit. And they've conquered a couple of kings, and they're on the edge of Moab. And when they camp near Moab, the Moabite king Balak is his name, he gets a little bit nervous. And he sees this great host of Israelites. He's heard about the Red Sea. He's heard about the warfare that's happened in the most recent years. And so he begins to search for a way to withstand. He doesn't feel like his army is strong enough to withstand the army of Israel. So he hires a prophet, a Gentile prophet by the name of Balaam to curse Israel because this prophet is 
it's known that if he curses you, then you're cursed, or if he blesses you, you're blessed. And so he tries to go and get him, and Balaam says, no, I can't do this unless God tells him. And God begins to speak with him and warns him and says, Balaam, said, listen, you don't go with these men. Don't go with this envoy of people that have come out to get you. He said, because those are my people, the children of Israel, and you better not curse what I blessed. So he warned him in a dream. Well, they came back. And so this time, and they've offered him even more money this time. And so this time he's starting to feel a little bit like maybe the reward is worth the risk. And so God again warns him and says, if you go, you better not curse my people. So he gets on his ass and he's making his way uh, to, the, to, to go to be able to, to, to meet Balak. And the Bible says that he is going to a narrow place with a wall on either side. And all of a sudden, his ass uh, won't go that way and starts fighting against him. And he is angry, and he begins to hit it. And then he gets down from it, and he begins to kick it. And when he did, the dumb ass spoke. The dumb, the muted animal spoke and warned the prophet. And because the prophet could not see what the dumb ass could see. I don't care what type of preacher you call me in this building today, but I can see some things that other folk cannot see. And so let me tell you, the angel is saying, don't go this way. Don't go. Don't you do this, Balaam. Those are God's people. You better not curse what God's blessed. Come on, somebody. That's a good word right there. But now, I'll have to preach this on another day. And so the prophet actually goes, and they, they hire him to curse. But you know what he does? He blesses. But there's another addendum to that story, though, the 25th chapter of the book of Numbers, because here's what happened. Balak, the king of Moab, realized he couldn't come against Israel, but through the counsel of Balaam, he enticed Israel. And they put out their pretty girls and they opened up their idolatrous festivals, and they said, why don't you come and worship with us? And they met the sensual desires in the men of Israel, and they polluted Israel. And you can read about it all through the Word of God. Let me tell you the enemy. The enemy's still at work, church family. And I'm telling you, in a down, just a face down with the church, he has no hope. Come on, they, because we, 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 we're not going to back down in that sense. But if people arise among the church that teach heretical doctrines, that cause us to we uh, become deluded in our minds to the truth of the Word of God, that He's won His victory from within. Let me close and be preparing to close today. I feel Jesus, don't you? I just came along to tell you what the Word of God says today. Huh. Come on, that's good right there, isn't it? <laughs> Let the dumb ass speak. Somebody be very careful if you post that on Facebook. Something clarify. Make sure we get that right on our, on our podcast. Let's go a little bit farther with this. Here's what they are. They're wells without water. And they're clouds that are carried with a tempest, but they don't have any true energy to them. You know, the latter few weeks when we were kind of in the heart of a drought. Thank God for the rain, by the way. Praise the Lord. Shatakam Mosia. On that, you know why I was getting so aggravated? Because I can't tell you every time that a cloud blew up and it had lightning and it had wind and it had cloud and it had no substance. And I'm telling you, that's what Peter is alluding to right here. They've got the wind, they've got the lightning, but they don't have the substance 
of life on the inside of them, the rain that's necessary. And so he said they're going to speak great swelling words of vanity, and they're going to appeal to what? The lust of the flesh. Doesn't it come back down to that? Isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden? It comes back down to that, and every day the enemy seeks to appeal to the lust of our flesh. They promise them liberty, and they're the servants of corruption. And i got to close. I'm looking. I'm trying to read fast. But look at this as we close. This is Peter's warning. This warning is for you. This warning is for our children. This warning is for every ICM student that's ever come out of JoJo's ministry. This warning is for every Amplified kid. This warning is for every person that's been in this church for the last 40 years. This warning is for us. This is Peter's warning. Peter said, as long as I'm in this flesh, he said, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to talk about the weather, and I'm not going to talk about the sports teams. He said, but I'm going to talk about what I heard when I spent time with Jesus. And he said, I'm going to share this with you, and I'm going to put you in remembrance of it. And here's where he warns them, and this is the warning that all of us need to heed as we close this message off today. The apostle Peter said, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Isn't that a sad plight? Let me tell you today. Let's read it on down a little bit farther. It had been better for them not to even have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But Peter sums up by quoting a proverb. He said, it's happened to them, according to this true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Here's the reality, church family. I've said this many times. I'm going to say it again. If every person, since I've been the pastor of this assembly, JoJo, for 15 years, that's cried at this altar and that made some type of profession of faith in Christ or a commitment to God or was baptized in that water, that baptism tank, was still serving God actively, we'd have to have two or three services just to be able to accommodate and facilitate the people. Let me tell you, there is such a satanic scheme that is targeting men and women that are in the faith. He's not warning unbelievers with this passage. He's warning believers of a satanic scheme to dilute your doctrine, divert your attention, and to take you away from being strong in who you believe and know what you believe. And I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you. Doctrine means and makes the difference in your life. It's this word. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Guard your spirit. Be aware be acutely aware. Realize that if it appeals and appeases your flesh, it may not be of God. I'm not saying that everything that appeals and appeases to your flesh is not of God, or we would never have gotten married, right? So there are some natural uh, desires and attractions, but see, God has a proper place to facilitate those desires that's sanctified. Come on, somebody. So let me just tell you today as we close, this battle is real. Let me tell you, Alyssa's been two years at DCLS in Los Angeles. That's a big deal. That's a major thing. But I'm going to tell you, there have been numerous students that have graduated that program that have gone back out. Come on. 
There have been Bible students that have gone to CBC where Aaron and Chelsea both graduated and that the world pulled them right back into it. The world has a vortex pull to it, swirling continually. You get too close to, you, to it, it's going to suck you down. And so the apostle Peter said, as long as I'm here, as long as I've got breath, he said, I'm going to stir you up and remind you of these things. I want to say this as I close today. Listen, I'm not, I'm not a critical person. I don't try to criticize other churches. But I can't be silent when I, and fail to identify some things. I challenge you. If you're a part of a church that never, that, that never preaches the gospel that pierces, I'd be looking for another church. That's just me. If every time you came into the house of God, they taught you a life lesson about marriage or about managing your money or about serving, that's all good. That's good, right? Those are great things, but those aren't the only things. And we need to be reminded that what I've preached to you today, I didn't write. I wasn't there on the Holy Mount, but Peter was. And Peter said, as long as I'm with you, I'm going to remind you of it. Who am I? Who am I? Am I so spiritually educated? Am I so gifted and talented as a pastor that I don't need to share with my congregation what Peter believed was necessary for the believer to prepare the believer to endure the trying situations that the believer finds himself in? It can be a dark day. Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed. I feel the presence of God. You felt the presence of God today. Don't shun the word of God.